0: I've got a, a word from God and I believe that God has been dealing with me. I know that for a couple of weeks. And, um, and uh, so I want to share that with you. And it's in Luke 16, verses 19 to 25. This is a familiar passage for those of us that have read the Gospels several times. So if we stand for the reign of the word. And the scripture says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. I send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. I'm going to stop there. The passage continues this story, and I want to call it At the Gate this morning at the gate let's pray god we thank you for the opportunity of being in your house for the open doors that you that you give us for your protection for being our defender just like we sung this morning and we pray that you will have your way speak to our hearts and knowing the word as it goes forth in jesus name amen you may be seated in this passage jesus is sitting with a crowd and he shares with them a series of stories and parables. And according to Luke's retelling, um, the stories had a message that people could apply to their lives. Every time he told a story, there was a message behind it. So his intention was to make them think, to reflect about the spiritual condition, make a decision to change and turn to God. And God always desires to restore and reconcile people to himself. The cross was the ultimate act of reconciliation, right? He took our place. He paid the debt over our sin and make a pathway back to God. He did his part and it is up to us to make the final decision and by faith take on the salvation by obeying God's plan repent be baptized and be filled with the spirit now the bible says in the previous chapter the chapter 15 that jesus called the republicans and the sinners to draw near to him as he's telling his stories he told the parable of the lost sheep the lost coin and the prodigal son and the scribes and pharisees which were the religious people of the time lingered around and they were murmuring, how can he receive sinners? How can he eat with them? Then his storytelling shifts. Without pointing any fingers, he tells the story of the unforgiving servant and finishes with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, the rich man and Lazarus in This story that Luke retells in chapter 16 is an interesting story. But as simple as it may sound, there is a cascade of hidden gems and details that we could miss if we only pay attention to how it ends. This story is about the contrast between these two characters. There's a rich man and there's Lazarus. And Jesus doesn't give the rich man a name. He makes it clear that this man is living in lavish lifestyles and he's keeping up with the latest fashions, eating and, and you know, dining um, with the finest cooks, making connections with important people. This man lived his life adorned in the finest clothes, including purple, which only the wealthiest could afford as he was feasting daily we could say that this guy hadn't made it, right? He made it. In contrast, we have Lazarus. He only lived to get a meal from the scraps that fell off the rich man's table, the Bible says. His adornment sores all over his body. His companions, the dog's, who came and licked his sores. What would Jesus include this hideous description about Lazarus? It is quite significant. Lazarus' condition at the time would have made him unclean. He was not only poor and hungry, he was an outcast, unable to worship properly like the rest of his community could. His access to the temple to worship was forbidden because of his condition. And despite of all of this, Jesus makes him the good guy in our story. The one that is rewarded with eternal life even though he cannot put a foot in the house of God. Even more, The only thing that Lazarus had in Jesus' account that the rich man didn't have was a name. Quite opposite to how society marks status. Throughout the story, we know Lazarus by name. And the rich man, despite being the other protagonist in this parable, remains simply the rich man. We give honour to those who achieve much, you know, world leaders and artists, movie stars, performers, Australian soccer teams now, right? And I'm pretty sure we will celebrate the wins of the Wallabies in the upcoming Rugby World Cup. Well, some of us, right? (laughs) They all have a name in history. We know them by name. Now, social media is no longer a phenomenon nowadays. Is the next question that people ask after they know your name. So, are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook? Even Facebook now is, you know, ancient. <laughs> There's other social media platforms. I am, I always say, the worst social media friend you could ever ask for. I do not spend time on Facebook. Sometimes I do, and therefore I miss birthdays. and Happy birthday to everybody that is my friend, and I haven't said that. No, Rarely I am in social media. And so I apologise if you have asked me to be your friend. I'm still pending. Um, but people quickly jump on board and give likes in social media, and that's okay. To celebrate success stories while little attention is given to those considered the least important. Jesus personalizes his concern, though, and he does it by giving the less fortunate a name in his story. Those in the community consider the least Jesus knows their name. So the Bible tells us that Lazarus was dumped at the rich man's gate day in and day out the rich man walked past him every time he left his house and when he came from home after a days of business he would walk by him and i'm someone that easily immerses herself in stories and i began to think and ask why this man's gate why didn't Jesus say the gate at the temple in this particular story? Did Jesus want us to imply that it was Lazarus' request? Was it because Lazarus perhaps believed that these men could make a difference in his life? Why this men's gate, Jesus? You know, context is key when we read scripture. And as Jesus is telling the story amongst the hearers, Were the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones that we said, the spiritual people, the religious people of the time, those who did worship at the temple, those who were recognised in their community? Jesus chose to add this detail to his story with an intention. You see, gates separate the residents from the outsiders. They create a clear division between us, who may belong and them who always struggle to belong in this story the gates were physical gates and the beggar sat at the rich man's gates but there was a second set of gates that Jesus was trying to highlight in this story these gates are the entry point into our hearts Proverbs 4.3 Gives this insight, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So the religious people of the time, they understood the hidden message. They understood it well. That's why they despised Jesus. That's why they wanted to pursue, find fault condemn him, imprison him. They got the message that it's not about the status and the acceptance. It is definitely about the gates that are in their hearts. They were as guilty of dismissing what was at their own gates as the rich man was. The rich man was indifferent to to Lazarus' needs And he knew who Lazarus was. In fact, when we read the scriptures in verse 24, and he being the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue as I am tormented. He knew his name. When he was alive, he didn't want anything to do with Lazarus. He thought that giving the scraps and the leftovers was good enough, enough attention. I have other things to do. I have more important places to be at, more, impor- more important people to meet. Now, we're not talking about one occasion that he crossed paths with Lazarus. It wasn't like one time in the marketplace. It was every day. This man was dropped at his gate. We can be guilty of the same disregard sometimes. We can be indifferent. Maybe, you know, we can be attentive to God's message in the house of God, tuning into his voice at the temple gate. We can be used of God, just like Peter and John We're used at the temple gate. In Acts we read about, we want to say those words, rise up and walk at the temple gate. We are good at doing church. Yet we can skip over what God is dropping at our gates. We don't want to deal with what's holding us back from confronting the things that are at our gates resolving conflicts with our loved ones perhaps submitting to those who place who God has placed in our lives praying for those when that may perhaps they mistreated us standing against abuse forgiving being afraid not loving being too busy these are the issues of life that spring forth indifference. We cannot excuse ourselves anymore and say, tomorrow, Lord, tomorrow I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to work out why I'm not noticing. The time is not convenient now. We cannot do that any longer, brothers and sisters. These two men's lives couldn't be more different Even in their death, there is a considerable contrast now. The rich man is buried and undoubtedly we could assume he was anointed with fine oil wrapped with fine linen, carefully placed in a tomb. And we could also assume that Lazarus' body was perhaps tossed into the city common burial fields. There was no mention of his family that could give him him a, a proper burial. But these details are not important to Jesus. But now dead, we get a glimpse of the rich man and Lazarus on the other side. And here's where the story gets interesting, right? Lazarus is carried to Abraham, the Bible says, to his side by angels. And the rich man goes to a place that none of us want to go. Not even we wish our worst enemies to end their hates or hell. So in the afterlife, they not only live contrasting lives, but now the roles are reversed. Lazarus is now living in in luxury per se, and the rich man is living in torment. And ironically, Jesus continues to refer to him as the rich man, even though he had nothing now. Yes, there's an afterlife. What we do here is not the very end. But what we do here, when we do here, matters what happens in our afterlife. Afterlife. <laughs> Here's the place that we make decisions, right? This is the place that, that we could surrender to God, that we make things right. It's no longer about, you know, they know my heart. I just pretend nothing's happened. Let's make things right. And while in torment, there seems to be a moment of regret in this rich man's life. A time when the rich man seeks forgiveness. In verse 24, the Bible says that he calls out for mercy and says, Father Abraham, have mercy, have mercy. I'm in agony in this fire. Now the rich man asks for mercy, but mercy cannot be delivered to him. Judgment was already passed. Now he thinks of his brothers and his friends and wants to warn them to change their ways. What ways? What was the issue? Was it having riches? The rich man wasn't thrown into hell because he didn't believe, according to Jesus, or because he wasn't of Jewish faith. He calls Abraham Father. That means he was part of the Jewish faith. And Abraham calls him son. It wasn't a salvation or a faith issue. He found himself in a place of torment because of the way he treated others. In this case, Lazarus specifically. The rich man saw the need and ignored it. Made a choice not to attend to it. Even in the afterlife, he still saw Lazarus as beneath him. Abraham, send him to serve me. He did not want to deal with that when he was at his gate. He was the least things that he was concerned with. But now, can you send him? I know him. I know his name. That is Lazarus. I'm in need now. Send him to attend to my need. God is calling us this morning to attend our gates, to pay attention what is in our personal gates. What is it that God is dropping at your gate and at my gate? I feel that God wants us to take inventory of what is taking us away from attending it and doing something about it. What are the things that we perceive as the least things? It's not a very upbeat message, right? <laughs> but I do feel that God wants us to to take stock this morning. I love the book of Acts. Uh, despite my daily reading, I always end up going back to it, even if it's not in the timeline. And right now, I'm up to Job. Poor old Job. <laughs> but I always, I always go back to Acts. I love Acts. And I was reading it um, last the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've been thinking of a particular scripture. Um, in chapter one, we are the church of Right, and um, and Jesus had some very specific things to say to his disciples right before he ascended to heaven, and he chose these words carefully. He knew that life would be very hard for his disciples. He had been killed, and those who killed him would not stop with him. He knew about the persecution ahead, especially if his followers continued to teach in his name, which was the challenge that he gave them. He also knew that the Holy Ghost will fall and his spirit will be necessary for them to ensure that they can endure all things. things that are in the natural they could not choose to do, or things that are presented before them that will not be able to carry them out unless the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, will give them the power to do so. So despite all these dangerous times ahead, Jesus spoke into their lives with his prophetic instructions, and we know it. Chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the animals part of the earth. Wow. What a challenge. To be his witnesses. Through the entire book of Acts, we see just what it meant to be a witness of Jesus. It was not just about proclaiming who he was. His followers did this very well. But it was about doing the things that Jesus did. They ate with people. They healed in his name. They shared his teachings. They gave to the kingdom they served one another and they lived as Jesus lived there were witnesses to all that he had done and their lives themselves spoke about this witness you shall receive power after that the holy ghost is come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth love to travel. <laughs> How far into the outermost part of the earth. These are very specific places. And one of them caught my attention. Again, very curious. Samaria. Why did Jesus mention Samaria? Why not Galilee? I actually looked at it in a map, Brother Ben. <laughs> Just thinking of you know. Where were the city's position? Was it far north, east? Why Samaria? Why not Galilee? Galilee was a little bit further up. Or Philistia was on the west. Why not any of those? Why Samaria? You know, Samaria was a place that no Jew wanted to go to. Samaria became a known town after the people of Israel got divided into the, the two kingdoms. You can read this in the Old Testament the southern kingdom with Jerusalem as, it, as its capital and the northern kingdom with Samaria as its capital. And the Assyrians conquered Samaria and they resettled there. And the people intermarried with the Israelites in the region and they brought their pagan gods to the land. And the Jews accused the Samaritans of idolatry, straying away from Jehovah and considered them a cross-breed race. The city of Samaria had a dark history. With so many kings who failed and did great evil in the sight of God. So, when Jesus said, You must be witnesses unto me in Samaria, he was as intentional as when he put Lazarus at the gate of the rich man's house. The Jews had a history with unresolved issues with their half brothers, they were bitter. So Lazarus was the least important item in the rich man's agenda. And Samaria was not a place that the disciples would naturally want to evangelize. They probably would not feel comfortable. They probably would have to deal with the prejudice, the judgment. They had to deal with all these things before they could go into the area. You see, for me, Samaria represents the things I go by every day and consider the least important in my life. The things perhaps not that I just ignore and I don't notice, but the things that I intentionally choose to ignore and not to deal with, particularly in my interactions with others. It may be because I'm afraid, Or perhaps there's some um, unforgiveness. Or simply, I don't know how to take the first step. How many of us feel that sometimes? That when it's time to reconcile, time to put things to one side, it is not that we don't want to. We want to make things right. But it's how do I take the first step? And we complicate things. The narrative and our heads gets bigger and bigger. You know, we imagine things. If I say this, who, whoever rehearsed a conversation that you're meant to have with someone else, I, I, I often <laughs> have to be guilty of that. So I have to talk to someone, so maybe I could say this. And then, oh, oh but they're going to say that. But that's my own head. That's my own narrative. You know, it's hard. We make things too hard, you know. We, we make things complex and we all can relate to that and we are guilty of that. But, you know, God is wanting us this morning to stop believing the narrative in our heads and to bring it to the open, to leave whatever gift at the altar we have and to reconcile, to go and attend to the things at our gate, If it is within our families, within our workplace, so we can win some for Jesus. Amen. I don't have long to go, so maybe if the musicians could come. But we are not in this place, and we are not saved simply to stay comfortable. We will all need to witness in Samaria if we want to be witnesses for Jesus to the outermost parts of the earth. You must pass through Samaria. That's the place that Jesus wants you to be a witness. Before you could answer the call of God, before you could start a work, before you could go anywhere else in ministry if that's what you desire, there is is Samaria, this, each one of us have a Samaria in our lives. So my question for us is, is there an area, definitely not a place perhaps where you will f- feel comfortable going? Jesus said that once we've gone to Jerusalem and Judea, we must then go to that place where you think, oh no, he wouldn't want me to go there. But yes, he does. Are we choosing to show compassion to a selected few? Is it time to evaluate how we treat people close to us? We are so good at playing church. We look the part, we say the right things, we lift our hands. We're so good at that. We don't mind being at the temple's gate, uh, but we can come in and out from circumstances and situations in our lives and skip over what is dropped at our gates. Why don't we stand? We need to choose more compassion... We need to choose to give our resources. Maybe it's just time. Time. Time it is. Time is what we lack a lot of the time. Time. (laughs) Right? When we want to catch up with a friend, we have to look at our schedules, making sure that Blanked, and we can't discern when somebody texts. Is the, are they texting because you know they're just saying hello, or they're really texting because they're reaching out? And this is interesting as, as we we take some time to to take stock and. Look at the things that are pressing us to, to get busy and busy and busy. Abraham said to the man when he was asking for Lazarus to come, he said, The time is up. Verse 26 says, And besides all this between us, you there is a the great goal fixed. That they which would pass from hands to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that will come from hands. Then he said, This is the rich man. So I pray, Father, that you would send some to my father's house. He begins to worry about his brothers. The Lazarus may testify. And Lazarus may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they already have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the worm rose from the dead. We invite you this morning to evaluate your life, to make things straight, to check what's at your gate, what are the things that God is dropping that no one else can look after, that no one else has the resource to meet that need, and what is it that is stopping you from acting upon that? I'm sure, I'm sure there are things that this, it is because we are busy, right, that we don't notice. But I do wonder if there are some things that you actually on purpose choose to put to one side and delay The time it is when we are alive, that's the time. What I get out of this story is not necessarily the drastic of, of this man and where he ended up even though that is so true but it was the, even at the end of his life even when he already had no more chance to make things right even, he couldn't even help those that remained so that tells me that I make my calling and election sure now this is the time Tomorrow is not promised to us. It's not promised to us when it comes to, to being right with our families, when it comes to reaching out to our neighbours, when it comes to just saying a quick word of, of prayer. That's not promised to us. Even your salvation. The Bible says that this day, this day is the day of salvation. God's giving you breath today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. You have to wait tomorrow for the breath of tomorrow. But today, right now, is where you make a decision. So we, we encourage you to just come. There are leaders that can pray with you. If this is your first time and you want to make yourself right with God, this is it. This is the place. This is the place for you to say, God, I'm not understanding everything that, I, that is going on, but this one thing I know, I want to live for you. There is something inside me that wants me to live for you. So this is the right place. So let's come and worship God. Hallelujah. As we make this place an altar so we could give everything to the Lord. Amen.